Hey folks, if you have listened to me for any length of time, you know that I, Woodland Hills Church, firmly believe that Jesus taught that we're to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us and pray for those who despitefully use us and turn the other cheek and never retaliate and things of that sort. And it's very clear right there in the Gospels. But people, I think, tend to associate that, that teaching with like ending war, you know, bringing peace to the Middle East and Syria and Iraq. And, and it, it's more of a global kind of a thing. And maybe it, has to, it affects how we respond to people who are aggressive towards us, but it really doesn't impact our day-to-day -day life. We at Willing Hills Church believe that uh, Jesus' teaching on peacemaking and reconciliation and loving our enemies and all of that uh, has to do very much with our day-to-day -day life. We'll be partnering with the Global Immersion Project um, and hosting a conference uh, at Willing Hills Church October 9th and 10th. It starts Friday evening and goes throughout the day on Saturday. Um, that is all about uh, taking this abstract thing about reconciliation and peacemaking and bring, chunking it down to our practical lives, uh, showing how, how we can implement it in, uh, for ourselves personally and how we can implement it with our families and our neighborhoods and in the broader community. Uh, it'll be a very practical, hands-on sort of thing, uh, an interactive uh, learning kind of process. And so I want to encourage you all to think about attending. Friday night, October 9th through Saturday, October 10th. The registration cost is $65 for regular, but if you're a student, uh, you can get that for $35. And you can register at by going to whchurch.org slash peacemaking. whchurch.org slash peacemaking. Uh, space is limited, so you want to hurry and get in while the getting is still good. God bless you guys. Keep the peace. Hope to see you at the conference. Bye-bye. Love that song. So we're in a series, mixed tape, tapes, and uh, we're just kind of doing them with passages that we groove to here at Woodland Hills Church. Uh, before I get into that, I want to say uh, thanks to Seth and Sandra who did such a great job the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, we're, we're really blessed to have such great teachers. Really appreciate that a great deal. And uh, what's the deal, you guys? Uh, don't have any cabins or yachts to go to this Labor Day weekend? My golly, what's... Or you're doing, you're just so committed to the Lord that you're here. So we're, we're really glad to have you here this, this morning. Um, also, just want to say just a little word about next week, just to reiterate what uh, Seth was saying. Uh, we are sensing a new season here at Woodland Hills Church and kind of officially getting launched next week. So I encourage you to come, invite your friends, be a part of this. Um, I just am so excited for the future of this church. I think we got some great things on the horizon. Yes. And the broader kingdom movement, it's, uh, I've been freed up to pour a little more into that, and um, it's exciting stuff uh, going on. I'll give a report about that uh, later on, uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, this morning is, a, is the last message in this mixtape series. Um, I want to talk about spiritual warfare. It's a, it's a thing that we think is very, very important that tends to be neglected in contemporary Christianity, spiritual warfare. Uh, I'll start with this. I had an interesting thing happen to me this last week. It was an interesting week for a number of reasons, but here's what happened on Tuesday. I was driving around uh, in, in St. Paul, turned onto the street, 
And um, there's these two people on bikes, a man and a woman. The woman was up front. And they were riding quite erratically. Uh, I immediately suspected that maybe they were drunk or something. And I later found out. In fact, I soon found out that that was the case. But they were like in the middle of the lane that I needed to turn into. And to get around them, I had to go over in the, into the other lane, where thankfully there was no oncoming traffic. But I wanted to stay real clear of them because they were kind of all over the place and going kind of fast and in the middle of the lane that I was supposed to be driving in. So I swerve around them. And 60 seconds later or so, I come to the store that I'm going to, and I park, and I get out, and I, uh, I'm going into the store. And just before I go into the door, I hear a voice. It was the guy who was riding his bike. And um, he says, I can't tell you what he said. <laughs> but it's basically, hey, bleephead, what the bleep, bleep, bleep do you think you're bleeping doing, you mother bleeping bleep? Uh, and, and, you know, when you, I was shocked. I didn't know quite what was going on. I thought maybe it was a joke. Maybe he knew me or something. And so I waved like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong move. <laughs> he took that as a taunt. So he gets, he throws the bike down and starts walking to me with his very aggressive kind of a walk. As, I, as he's approaching, I can see his face is absolutely red. This guy's ready to pop. Uh, and he's bleeping all the way to me. I start going in my head, my life is Christ, nothing else matters, life is Christ, nothing else matters, life is Christ, nothing else matters. Uh, I honestly did. And, uh, and so he comes up to me, and he's just cursing up a storm and madder than a hornet. And uh, uh, I, I, make, I, I discern amidst the few clean words in what was coming out of his mouth. He reminded me of my dad, actually. But uh, apparently he thought that I swerved into his wife, who was ahead of him on the bike, and that I, I, I was intimidating her or something, or that I cut her off or something like that. Um, and so I, I said to him, sir, I, I actually was on the other side of the road because you guys were in the middle of the lane that I was supposed to be in. So I went, and I'm okay with that. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Uh, but I just wanted to swerve. I was intentionally swerve, you know, staying clear of you so I didn't you know, browse up against you. Then that just made him matter. He said, oh, so you're bleeping saying it's my, our bleeping fault, you bleeping mother bleeping bleep. And it's like, no, I'm not into blaming anything. I'm just, you know, trying to explain, you know. Then he could put his hand back like this and, and, and like, grab my shoulder. And he was ready to, you know, slug me. And he says, uh, um, and then I said, okay, look, I'm sorry. If I, if I inadvertently, you know, got too close to your wife on the bike, I'm really sorry. It was not intentional. I would never do that intentionally. I'm really sorry. And that just made him matter. Because he says, oh, you're mocking me now. You want to you, you fight? You want to step up right now? Let's go, let's go out. I'm going to rip your bleeping head off your bleeping body. I'm going to lay you cold out flat right now. And, and his hand's back, and I can smell the alcohol in his breath, and, and he, the red face. And now I'm really like going, my life is Christ. Nothing else matters. Life is Christ. <laughs> my life is Christ, and I might get real short now. But, uh, and so just before he, he's... I think could have punched me, I, I say to him, look, I really am sorry. I wasn't mocking you. And if I, um, I, far from wanting to fight, I don't want to fight. In fact, I can't fight. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm not allowed to fight. So if you hit me, I'm, I'm not going to hit you back. And that was the right thing to say. Because <laughs> it completely confused him. He was like, he was just staring there at me with this puzzled and almost disappointed look, like, oh, shoot, I thought we were going to get into it here. And, 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 but he was just kind of froze. And then his wife, his poor wife, who also was lit up, she stumbles off her bike and comes over and gets him and says, look, he said he was sorry. Let's, let's just get out of here. And the guy finally puts his hand down 
and says, well, it's not even any fun to beat the bleep and bleep out of a wussy like you. Uh, and, uh, and so he walks away. He says, well, if I ever see you around here again, I'm going to bleep and bleep, 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 bleep. So I'm glad it's no fun to beat up a wussy. <laughs> that also was the right thing to say. So, so there, there's the event. And as he was walking away, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I bless him with peace. And uh, uh, I agree with you that he's got unsurpassable worth, though I don't particularly see it right now. <laughs> I'm going to just believe you for that. But yeah, you, you, your heart's pounding. I honestly thought I was going to just be leveled on the ground. Um, so let, let's look at this, this, this event here. All right, on, on the one level, it's a, it's a human-on-human conflict, right? It's, Here's a guy who's lit up, who thinks I swerved into his wife, but I'm quite sure the whole world was swerving for him, so how would he know? Uh, he was so lit up. But he, he, he's mad, and so he's confronting me. He's confronting this other guy who clearly could take him if he wanted to, but he chooses not to. And <laughs> I, I, I told you what I did to Jim Hayes, remember, a couple of sermons ago? Yeah, I, I, I could go rocky on him, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so, so it's a human-on-human conflict. But... From a New Testament perspective, there's something else going on, something very important going on that the natural eye can't see. And that is that while this human conflict's going on, there is warfare going on in the spiritual realm. There are, there's an influence, according to the New Testament, uh, the influence of fallen powers, of principalities and powers, that are trying to get us to engage on a physical level. Paul says this in Ephesians 6. He says, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, our struggle is against the rulers and authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the real struggle. Our, from a New Testament perspective, our struggle is never against flesh and blood. It's never against another human being. Our struggle is rather against the powers that are always trying to get us, deceive us into thinking that the struggle is against other human beings. And so as this is going on here, there are powers that are pulling on us. And this guy's not aware of it. In fact, he's already given into it. He's being used. He's being played. And I was aware of it, and I felt the pull of it, but I didn't yield to it. I felt this pull. My chain was being yanked. My old nature was being aroused. I had an impulse that wanted to get big and self-defensive and, and feel justified and get all fighty-fighty on the guy. I, part of me wanted to go rocky on him. But, uh, but because I was able to stay centered in my identity in Christ, I was able to yield to another influence that was there, also involved in this conflict, and that's the Spirit of Christ, who always responds in a lamb-like way. Um, the, the, the real battle is never against flesh and blood. The battle is against the principalities and powers that are trying to get us to think that flesh and blood is the battle. And the truth is that we either are battling the forces of evil uh, or we're being played by the forces of evil. And if we're not doing one, we're doing the other. We're either battling the forces of evil by refusing to make flesh and blood our enemy, by refusing to not love flesh and blood, regardless of, 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 of whether they're friend or foe or have their hand cocked back ready to hit us, by refusing to make them the enemy, we're now declaring war on the real enemy. But if we're not doing that, then we're going to be getting played by the enemy who will in various ways get us to turn against one another and misidentify the other person as the enemy. Think about this. If the entire world right now somehow magically came to believe in Ephesians 6.12 that we just read, if everybody believes Ephesians 6.12, it would be impossible for anyone to have act violently or even to have a violent thought against another human being. Because they would know that the real battle is against the powers that try to get us to act violently against another human being. Uh, ultimately, every act of violence and every violent thought throughout history is a result of people not fighting the right battle. 
Because if they're fighting the right battle, they wouldn't be able to act violently or have those violent thoughts. On the other hand, until the world comes to believe Ephesians 6.12, there's really no hope for lasting peace, for nonviolence. Because if you're not fighting the powers, you're going to be getting played by the powers. If you're not doing the one, you're doing the other. They go hand in hand. Now, this applies, folks, not just to when you're being accosted by a drunken, red-faced, angry person. Um, though it certainly applies in the circumstances where you're getting hot and bothered. Uh, but it applies actually to the trillion different ways that Satan and the powers try to get us to separate ourselves from others, to turn against others, to have uh, judgmental thoughts towards others, suspicion towards others, fear towards others, hostility towards others, in every way, shape, and form. In fact, this teaching about spiritual warfare applies to every area of our life. There's no area of our life that is not part of this warfare. We live in this environment under the principalities and powers. And to be a kingdom person, you've got to live with the mindset of declaring war against the principalities and powers. When people think of spiritual warfare, my experience has been that most of the time they think that you're talking about delivering somebody of a demon, exercising a demon out of somebody as they levitate on their bed and, and their head turns 180 degrees and they spit out green vomit and they cry out, your mother, or something like that. That's what spiritual warfare is. And that, some of that's real. Sometimes people need to be delivered for sure. I've seen that, I've done that. But that wasn't the main way that Jesus did warfare. It wasn't the main way his disciples did warfare. The main way that we do warfare is how we live moment by moment. We either live in a way that we're getting played by the powers or we live in a way where we're fighting the powers. Um, it comes down to this. Are, are we imitating Jesus and living in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us? Because uh, to live in that kind of love is to be involved in ongoing conflict against the powers. It's lifestyle warfare. Lifestyle warfare. Now to unpack a little bit about what lifestyle warfare might look like. Uh, I want to look at Luke chapter 10. This is the main verse for this week. Luke chapter 10. Because we'll see here, it teaches us a lot about what it is to live in a way where you're toppling the enemy's empire. Here's, here's what it says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, disciples, and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he says, Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Right there's a lesson. That we live in a wolf world, but we're called to be lambs. And even when the wolves seem like they're going to bite us, like happened to me last Tuesday, we're not allowed to get wolfy on them. We can't wolf back because we're, we're, we're followers of the lamb, as it says in the book of Revelation. So we always have to have a lamb-like posture, even responding to the angry, barking wolves. So I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. And don't greet anyone on the road. In other words, don't get distracted. Stay on task. And then he says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. And then he says, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house, but stay there. And when you enter a town and are welcomed... Eat what is offered to you, he again says. Heal the sick who are there, and then tell them the kingdom of God has come near. So they go out and they do this. And then, it starts in verse 17, it says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, look at this, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. 
Now, what Jesus is saying with that statement is, as you were out doing all the stuff that I instructed you to do, you were bringing down the enemy's empire. You were contributing to the toppling of, of uh, Satan's regime. And he's speaking hyper, hyper, hyperbolically here for emphasis, like it came down like lightning, like you are bringing it down now. But everything they did was, was, was uh, it contributed to the falling of the enemy's empire in this world. So I want to unpack this a little bit and show what it teaches us about lifestyle warfare. Uh, first point would be this. These folks were out evangelizing. They were spreading the good news. And so when Jesus says what you were doing was bringing down the enemy's empire, it clearly means that evangelism, sharing the good news, is a form of spiritual warfare. You're involved in spiritual conflict when you share the good news with somebody and have a role to play in bringing them to faith. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They can't see it. Now when Paul says God of this age, he's referring to Satan, which tells you a little bit about Satan's authority in this world. The God of this age. Elsewhere he says he's the principality and power of the air. And John, 1 John says he controls the entire world. Satan is a dominant influence in this world. So if the world looks really, really, really messed up, that's why. Uh, ultimately, it's just, it, there's a polluting force here. And unbelievers, Paul says, have come under that force. They're blinded by the deceiver. Now, they may have good reasons, at least they think they're good reasons why they're not believers, and we need to address those. But ultimately, their blindness is because they're un, in spiritual bondage. And so when you play any role in bringing someone to faith, you are declaring it's an act of war. You are loosing the chains that the enemy has on them. You're, you're relieving the blinders that the enemy has on them. You're bringing them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You're, there's an act of liberation here. Um, and you better believe that it, it, it takes Satan off. Because every, oh, every soul that belongs to Christ uh, no longer belongs to him. And so you better believe he'll do everything possible to prevent this. And if you find that life gets funky when you start to share your faith with people, or you get all knotted up when you want to share your faith with people, just know that this is one of the factors that's going on. And that's where we need to remember that song we just sang about being brave. He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and, and, and self-control. Amen? And, and so in him, we're to have the strength that takes on the roaring lion, and we will not be intimidated. But that's part of the pollution and the air that we breathe. Amen? Amen. So... Uh, Evangelism is an act of warfare. Now, a lot of people think that evangelism is about going out on a street corner and preaching at people or going door-to-door -door like the Jehovah Witnesses or passing out tracts or something. And God can use anything, for sure. But here Jesus gives us a different model of evangelism, and it applies to all of our life because we are missionaries wherever we find ourselves. Uh, he gives us a warfare model of evangelism because this is the kind of evangelism that causes Satan uh, to fall like lightning from the skies. Uh, let's look at, look at several aspects of this, and we'll see how it applies to our life. First, Jesus says, when you come to a house, first thing you do is you pray peace on it. Let peace be on this house. The Hebrew concept of peace is not just absence of conflict. The Hebrew concept of peace is shalom. Shalom, and, and it means well-being, harmony, um, wholeness. In fact, it means God's wholeness, God's harmony, God's well-being. And so... The first act of a disciple, and I, I believe it's the first act for all of us. It's the first step in evangelism, but it's also, I think, the first duty of a kingdom person towards the rest of the world is to use the unique authority that we have in prayer as the children of God to bless people, to pray for God's wholeness and harmony and well-being on people. 
The way it applies to us is this. Every person we see uh, is someone that we should just use our authority with to pray peace on. Lord, bless that person. We're bringing about God's will on earth as it is in heaven, and God's will is for everyone to be living in his peace and wholeness and harmony. And so our job is to agree with God about that and, and to pray for that. See, most people, the vast, 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 vast majority of people on the planet, in fact, everybody uh, except those who have been disciplined to stop thinking this way, uh, they go through life and they look at people through a grid of their approval or disapproval. Uh, the vast, vast majority of people are addicted to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we position ourselves as judges and we assess people. We notice what we agree with, we notice what we don't agree with. And, um, uh, and so we have running commentary in our brain. We have a gossip column. We're gossiping about people in our brain. That's, the, that's part for the course for the world. But see, kingdom people, as I often say around here, we are allowed, unless someone has invited you into their life to express other opinions, you're only allowed one opinion about people. And it's the opinion that God gives us on Calvary. The only thing we know about them is that they were worth Jesus dying for, which means they have unsurpassable worth. And so our first job as disciples, if we call him Lord, we're not allowed to disagree with him. And so we have to agree that that, that person who was just about ready to clean my clock and maybe kill me, he has unsurpassable worth. Because I call myself a disciple, and he's Lord, and so that's his opinion, and I have to agree with it. So we align our hearts and minds with him, and the first act of expressing that worth to people, because this means that we need to express their unsurpassable worth by everything we think about them, everything we, we say towards them, however we interact with them, we have to express it. And the first, and in most cases, the only way of expressing the worth of the person that we're looking at is to use the authority that we have to call down, open up the gates of heaven and call down God's peace and wholeness and harmony into their life. To bring a little slice of the kingdom in that moment. And so I encourage us, as I've said, shared before, I've used this phrase, be a blessing machine. A blessing machine. As, as, as you go through life, now, we all need times where we got to have our own time and listen to our own music and do our own thing and block out the world. Got that. But in the, your, let your normal modus operandi as you go through life not just be on yourself, but be noticing people around you. Uh, everybody at all times to just be saying, yes, Lord, I agree that that person has unsurpassable worth. I agree that that person has unsurpassable worth. The first act when you see a person, and for most people, it would be the only thing you ever do with them because you'll never see them again. But you pray blessing on them and wholeness on them and harmony on them. And it's a way of expressing your agreement that they have unsurpassable worth. Folks, this, is, this helps them. Uh, this deepens your heart. If, if, if you become disciplined about this, if this becomes part of your normal habitual thinking, so you just sort of naturally do this, I, I bless that person and that person, you'll find that it deepens your capacity to love. It helps them. It's not a superfluous activity. Uh, Jesus commanded it, and Jesus never commands superfluous activities. This changes things. It helps them. Uh, in James 5, it says that the, the prayers of, the, of God's people are powerful and effective. It's powerful and effective. I'm bringing a little slice of the kingdom into their life. If there's any openness for it, now if they're dead set against it, it will just bounce back on you. Don't worry about that. That's not on you. It's, that's about them. But if they're open to it, you're bringing some kingdom into their life. We're called to be servants of the world, and this is our first act of servitude. We're serving them uh, by doing what we can to, to change them, to, to kingdomize them a little bit. It helps them, but it deepens our capacity for love. As you do this, you'll find you're, you'll be bumping up against all the little gossip column in your head, all the judgments that you had, all the ways of assess, assessing people, 
And you set them aside in order to bless them. And it expands you. It deepens you. It kingdomizes you. And the funnest thing is that you are bringing down, you're, you're contributing to the toppling of Satan's empire. I see the powers are about dividing people. And when, you're, when you love a person and agree with God, they have unsurpassable worth, and then bless that person, you're uniting with them. All right? you're, there's, you're creating a bridge there. And that is an act of war against the powers who are all about dividing people. Uh, and so you're kicking some devil butt, and that's a good thing to do. And you can do it all day long. It's just bless people. Wherever you go, whoever you see. Man, just be blessing people. At the state fair, you know, or you're driving in your car, or you're working in the yard, wherever you see, someone passes by, just bless them. You're driving home from church, car passes you. Maybe they cut you off on the road. Just bless them. You know, you ought to take the dog out for a walk. You're off for a jog, whatever. Just be a blessing machine. Oh, Lord, bless that person. It feels great. Last Wednesday, the day after I almost got killed, I uh, came up to the stoplight, and uh, uh, I was listening to radio and having a good time, but I noticed this lady at the gas station. And so as I'm waiting there, why waste a good kingdom moment? I said, Lord, I, just, I thought, Lord, I agree that person has unsurpassable worth. They could not be more precious than they are at this moment. I agree. And I just pray got your wholeness and blessing on her. And it, I may be reading into it, but it seemed to me that her countenance suddenly changed. And I've seen this happen other times. You're praying for a person. It's kind of fun. Like, you, feel, you feel like you're a little kingdom spy. You pick someone out in the crowd and you start praying for them, and then you can start to see them change. And they don't know why, you know, they're probably not even aware of it, but here you are, you're, you're exercising a secret influence. Yeah, this is the king of espionage. Do, 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 do. Yeah, so, so it, 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 it may just be me, but it seemed to me that, king, that, that, that they changed. Uh, their countenance lifted. They, they were kind of intense at first, and then they just sort of like shoulders dropped and they just re relaxed. I was like, yes, man, way to go, God. Uh, but whether you can see the change or not doesn't matter. Just know that God is working there. Your, your prayer is, is kingdomizing the world. You're bringing about the Father's will on earth as it is in heaven. Be a blessing machine. First act is pray peace on this house. Then Jesus says, and this, is, this gets really interesting. He says, wherever you are at, stay there and eat whatever is put before you. When you, get, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Now, eating in the first century was a form of building relationship. It was a form of saying, you know, you're my peeps. You're building a bond there. And Jesus says, whatever house invites you in, stay there. Don't jump around. In other words, build quality relationships. As long as they'll listen and, and, be, and, and fellowship with you, you fellowship with them. He's looking for quality, not quantity. So don't just go see how many houses you can get to. This isn't a contest. No, stay there. And then he says, eat whatever is put before you. Now, when we hear that, we might think, oh, Jesus is just saying, uh, be polite. Because in the first century, as in mo most cultures, uh, first century culture, it's, 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 it's rude if you go to someone's house and they, give, they serve you dinner and you don't eat it. And so we might hear it as saying, Jesus saying, look, at, when you're out there doing missionary work, don't get all finicky and persnickety about what you eat. Now, that itself would be an important teaching because, as some of you know, um, cultures differ greatly in terms of what they consider to be tasteful. So you know that? Uh, and, and sometimes being polite uh, as you're building a relationship with somebody can really be uh, an act of, of self-sacrifice. I was in, in Cambodia about 11, 12 years ago, and um, uh, it was part of a mission, missions team from Woodland Hills Church, and we were invited to this house, uh, and they served us. The first thing they served us was this cold, cold uh, yellow soup. Um, and it's considered a delicacy over in Cambodia. Uh, for this American, it was not quite that. 
Uh, honestly, it smelled like sweaty feet, like, uh, like it hadn't been washed for a month. It was rancid. It was, and I, I have a real sensitive nose anyways. I, I gag easy. And so I, I was like fighting a gag reflex. And, uh, but I know that it's very rude not to eat this. Now, to make it worse, Trevor, he's over there. is that you, you over there? There he is, Trevor. He's evil. He's an evil person. <laughs> he was on the mission trip. I just met him. He came over and he was on a mission trip. So he was sitting next to me. And just as I'm making the association of, like, what does it smell like? Oh, yeah, it smells like dirty, smelly feet. He leans over to me and he says, it smells like sweaty feet. <laughs> and now I want to burst out laughing. He's like, I... I I don't know if any of you are like this, but I find that the more inappropriate it is to laugh, the stronger the urge is to laugh, and the funnier it is. Really, funerals can be terrible. It, it's like, that is so inappropriate, which is why it's hilarious. Um, and so I have this incredible urge to just burst out laughing. But if there's one thing that's more rude than not eating the soup, it's laughing at the soup. So I'm fighting this, you know, like... And you start sweating, you know, because you're trying to hold it back. You try to think of, like, really sad thoughts. Like, my mom died when I was two years old. And, and dogs eat, eat little rabbits, and it's a terrible world. And that just makes it funnier. Really, it's just, it's... The only, the only thing that cured that was when I decided just to take a bite of the soup, or take a sip of the soup. No, no urge to laugh anymore. It was like, hold your breath and get this thing down. So just being polite can really be a, a kingdom challenge and something we're, we're called to do. But if you understand what Jesus is getting into here with his disciples, he's going way, way beyond saying be polite. He's talking to his disciples who are Orthodox Jews. And Orthodox Jews, to this day, if they're really Orthodox, they've got a lot of rules about food. What you can eat, what you can't eat, what's clean and unclean. Ever read, ever read Leviticus 11 or Deuteronomy 14? Long list of rules. I'll give you a little sampling, because this is the kind of stuff that we usually skip over. Uh, but it's, in this case, it can be kind of important. You are allowed to, if you're in the Old Testament, or an Orthodox Jew today, you're allowed to eat animals as long as they have divided hoofs and chew their cud. Why that's important is not clear to me, but uh, if they only chew their cud and don't have divided hoofs, you, they're unclean, you can't eat them. Or if they have divided hoofs and don't chew their cud, then they're unclean and you can't eat them. So you can't eat things like pigs or camels or... or uh, Whatever. Okay. Uh, then I, when it comes to sea creatures, you can eat them if they have fins and scales. But if they only have fins and no scales, they're unclean, you can't eat them. Or if they have scales and, and no fins, then they're unclean, you can't eat them. And when it comes to birds of the air, you can eat various kinds. But you can't eat vultures or red kites or black kites or ravens or gulls or hawks. Nor can you eat a horned owl, screech owl, little owl, great owl, white owl, or desert owl. Why don't they just say, don't eat owls? It's, it's a, and then you're not allowed to eat weasels or rats. Wow, oh, they're so strict back then. You can't eat rats. What? Uh, you can't eat weasels or rats or geckos or uh, monitor lizards or wall lizards or shrink. Do not eat your shrink uh, or chameleons. And you can't eat flying insects. I'm just going to disappoint some of you, I'm sure. Can't eat flying insects unless there's some exceptions. Unless they're crickets, if they walk on all four legs on the ground. Uh, locusts you can eat. Oh, good. Uh, crickets and grasshoppers. I would think if anything would be called, considered unclean, it would be a locust. Who would want to ever crunch into one of those? But there you go. They're allowed to eat those in the Old Testament. So there's lots of rules. And these rules are big to them. I mean, th this is important stuff for them. It's part of their holiness code. This is what sets them apart from other nations. Okay, so this is important stuff. So when Jesus tells these Orthodox Jews to eat whatever is put before you, as he's sending them out high and wide, eat whatever. That's why he repeats it twice. I, I mean it. Whatever they put before you. Uh, you are to eat it. And what he's saying here, here's the important point to all this, is he's saying, 
that when it comes to building kingdom relationships, relationships that, that, that may introduce people to the kingdom, do not let your own religious convictions get in the way. Your convictions are legitimate, but they don't have the same importance as building a kingdom relationship with these people and bringing God's peace into them. And this is an aspect of what it is to tear down, uh, to topple down Satan's empire. You're, you're, you're crossing lines that could otherwise divide you. I mean, people get divided along religious convictions and national convictions and political convictions and all the rest. And Jesus is saying, don't let any of that separate you from these people. This trumps everything. Uh, relationship trumps religiosity. Relationships trump rules. This is, by the way, the opposite of those who want to uh, get laws that enforce our religious convictions on others. Or at least make it so that we never have to back off of our religious, religious convictions for the sake of others. Jesus is saying just the exact opposite. Now, he's not saying sin so you make people feel comfortable. He's not saying that. But he certainly is saying, don't be so uptight. All right? Have a little bit of flexibility for the sake of relationships with others. And he's saying, look, don't worry about what others are going to think, how things are going to appear, because people are going to judge you. Uh, the relationship is the all-important thing, which is what we'd expect from our relational God, isn't it? See, this is the attitude that Jesus had, which is why he could go anywhere. See, if you notice this in the Gospels, he goes to dinners, which is a form of fellowship, bonding with people, with prostitutes and with tax collectors and the most other judge sinners of the time. He goes everywhere he's invited, and he's the all-holy son of God. Uh, now, the, the Pharisees, the guardians of moral righteousness, the, the religious keepers of the status quo, they were outraged. Look at this compromisery. He calls himself the Messiah. You know, birds of the same feather flock together. Uh, and and he, he, look, he, he, he's, he's not pointing out their sin to them. He's not trying to pass laws against their sin like we are because we're the righteous. Uh, you know, he, he's very quiet about that. He just seems to be happy just hanging out with them. And, 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 and so he's condoning this stuff. He's condoning prostitution. He must be pro-prostitution. He must be pro-drunkenness. And that's the reputation he had. It tells us that in, in the Gospels. But see, Jesus wasn't condoning their sin. It's just that... Uh, uh, he prioritized entering into a loving relationship with them that could bring about a transformation in their life that had greater priority than pointing out their sin in the immediate present. Which, by the way, Jesus never did. If you think, if you go into a relationship appointing yourself to be the policeman of sin, you're not going to have a relationship. And so Jesus knows there's an appropriate time to talk about these things and an inappropriate time. And until they invite you in, it's inappropriate. And so here he is, the relationship has a higher priority than pointing out the sin, which he never did, and which Paul forbids, by the way. Uh, this is where we're never to judge outsiders, which, by the way, is what a lot of churches seem to think is their primary job. So figure that out if you can. Uh, but Jesus enters in this relationship um, and, and, uh, uh, in, in solidarity with these folks, just as he does on the cross. What is, what is, what's going on here is this, see? The Pharisees and religious people generally have an idea of holiness that's based on rules, which is why the rules are inflexible, whereas Jesus has a holiness that's based on the character of God, the God of love, and where love has the highest priority over everything. And so what Jesus is manifesting here is that true holiness isn't about sitting in judgment over sinners. True holiness is about entering into solidarity with sinners. True holiness it's not about uh, religious rules. It's about entering into a non-judgmental relationship. Uh, true holiness doesn't keep a distance from sinners. 
It builds bridges with sinners. And if that was true for the all-holy Son of God, how much more true is it of us who are told to consider ourselves the worst of sinners and to see everyone else's sin as a, du as a dust powder compared to, compared to our, our tree trunks? Uh, we are to be willing to enter into relationships with others, and even if it, it may grind us to do so, maybe things we have to just swallow, but the relationship trumps everything. Now, what does this have to do with spiritual warfare? Everything. Because when the 72 disciples entered into relationships like this and even ate unclean food that was put before them, they were taking down the enemy's empire. They were declaring war against the powers. The powers use things like religious convictions to divide people and political convictions to divide people and, and lifestyle convictions to divide people and national convictions to divide people. So when kingdom people decide that they're going to enter into a relationship despite the differences that they have in lifestyle and, and political opinions and religious convictions and national convictions. Well, we are declaring war against the powers. We're, we're saying love has a greater priority than all these personal things that we have. And that's an act of war. You're toppling Satan's empire. Amen. And see, that opens up a door to being a kingdom influence where there otherwise would be no kingdom influence. Here's the strategy of the enemy. Uh, to get kingdom people to just... Like the Pharisees, to have a standoff kind of attitude. I'm not going to ruin my reputation by hanging out with the likes of those. No, if I, if I hang out with them, people will think that I condone their sin. And so I need to keep, you know, a, a distance from that. And, um, uh, and, and, and so what happens is, is kingdom people end up having their own little holiness enclave, their own holy club. And we're nice, safe, and secure, and everyone thinks like us, and everyone acts like us, and we can congrat con congratulate ourselves about this. Well, see, now you're in prison. You're not having you're not a light shining in the world. You're a light that's hidden in, in darkness. The only way to spread kingdom seeds is to get out in the field. <laughs> you know, get out there in the field and mix it up with folks. And, and yes, light, let the light shine. But that means you can't be a policeman. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that literally, but a policeman of, of sin, the moral policeman. You, you don't put, you're not the judge of, of everything. You've got to set that aside. So you've got a, a neighbor there. And you know what, folks? It doesn't matter. It really does not matter if that neighbor loves God or hates God, whether that neighbor is a Muslim or a Jew or Hindu or Buddhist or New Age crystal worshiper or atheist. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they are straight or gay or transgender or queer or all of the above or none of the above or confused about them all. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if they're a good citizen or they're a registered sex offender. It doesn't matter if they're clean or vulgar. It doesn't, mean if, it doesn't matter if they're Democrat or or, or socialist or communist or libertarian or tea party or anything. All of that is, is, is food restriction stuff. That's like dietary laws. The only thing that matters here is are you willing to eat whatever's put before you? Which is to say, take them as they are. Whatever they put before you, are you willing to ingest that? Doesn't mean you like it, doesn't mean you agree with it. Maybe it's hard even in the stomach, but for the sake of love, are you willing to self sacrificially embrace them as they are? The only thing that matters is, are you agreeing with God that they have unsurpassable worth? And are you willing to express that by how you think about them, how you speak with them, how you interact with them, and how you sacrifice for them? Even sometimes setting your own convictions aside for, for, for the purpose of, of love. So we, we're called to pray blessing on folks, uh, whoever we see. And then as doors open up and they invite us in, we're called to eat whatever is set before us uh, and make the relationship the highest priority there is. The final thing is this. Jesus says, heal the sick. i got to go quickly here. Heal the sick and uh, announce the kingdom is, is at hand. All he's saying here in a word is this. Use your unique kingdom authority to continue to bring wholeness and well-being and, and harmony into their life. Uh, see a need and meet it. Serve them. Whereas you could get hung up 
debating about religious convictions and lifestyle issues and national issues and the rest, set that aside and ask this one all-important question, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? And maybe that the person next door to you, you know, that you may have this, this, this neighbor who's vulgar and is a greedy glutton and a, a drug-using drunkard and has sex with everything that moves. And the rest of the neighborhood maybe despises that person, but you as a kingdom person are not allowed to despise them. You are allowed one opinion. And that opinion is the Calvary opinion. They have unsurpassable worth. And so you set aside all the things you object to and enter into the relationship. Um, and, and then ask the question, as they set before you this meal, who they are, you eat whatever's before you, you embrace them as they are, and ask the question, how can I serve? Maybe they're sick. Offer to pray for them. Most people will say yes to that. Maybe their car's broken and you know how to fix cars. Offer to fix it. Maybe they don't have a snowblower, but you do. And so when it snows outside, take the extra 15 minutes to snowblow their driveway for them. How can you serve them? Maybe they're just lonely because they're mean-spirited and vulgar and no one wants to hang out with them, but you as a kingdom person do. And so they need someone to watch football with on Monday nights or whatever. So even the fact that you don't like football, it's irrelevant. No, the relationship's all important. How can I serve? And then we say, the last thing Jesus says, and it's last for a reason, is the kingdom of God is near. And the reason it's last is because that announcement is to explain everything that happened before it. See, our life is to be, a, is to raise the question that only the kingdom can answer. Why do you care about me? Why do you love like this? Why are you willing to snowball my driveway? Why are you willing to pray for me? Why, why, I know that you don't agree with a lot of what I'm about. And that allows us to say, well, let me tell you, I surrendered to the king of kings and lord of lords, a god of love, who can bring peace and harmony and well-being into your life if you'll let him. And I invite you to do the same. And now you're really taking Satan off. Uh, now you're declaring war, folks. Now you're really declaring war. Amen. He's fallen from the sky like lightning. So I, I, I encourage us. And just ask this question here. Are you willing to live as a soldier? Are you willing to be a blessing machine? Declaring war against the powers. When you leave here, you're going out into the world polluted by the powers. They're always at work. Are you willing to wage war on them by being a blessing machine, by loving others unconditionally? Remembering this, okay, and, and that's hard to do because you, you have to change the habit of your thoughts, make it an automatic. Otherwise, you'll just laugh back into your own gossip column. Uh, you might need help. Ask a friend to help you uh, to remember to do this. Remind each other throughout the day. As you're driving home, bless the people that are, that are on there. As you're on the gathering area, just pray for quiet prayers of blessing over people. Watch what it does to you. It's really, it, 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 it's fun. And then finally, are you willing to eat whatever's before you and live in service of people? The relationship trumps everything. It honors God. It expresses his character. And it topples the enemy's empire. That, folks, is lifestyle spiritual warfare 101. All right, let's stand up. I'd like to ask the prayer team to come up here. And if you have any need whatsoever, I encourage you to come up here and receive that prayer. Uh, don't carry that burden out uh, with you alone. If you want to find out how to be a, a follower of Jesus, what that means, come up here and talk to these folks. And they'll help you get started on the kingdom way. Remember that refuge. The refuge is a perfect illustration of everything I just talked about. Uh, check out the ministries at the, at the refuge. Um, it's all about setting aside all judgments, being honest with each other, and everyone saying, how can we serve one another? It's a beautiful, beautiful ministry. So you, you want to check that out. And as we leave here, I pray that God will be with us, reminding us to be a blessing machine, reminding us uh, to seek out relationships that are going to influence the kingdom, uh, always reminding us to live in the question, how can I serve? Setting aside our judgments, eating whatever set before us, and serving in any way we can. And God's loving army said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go top.